This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Well, this is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hello, I'm Jake and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take a play or film that has never been staged before or is never likely to be staged again and we talk about how we stage it. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Hello, hello. And this week we are joined by actor, director and possibly the best understudy of all time, Gregor Roach. Hello. Hey Gregor, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. How's lockdown treating you? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. Finding it pretty difficult to motivate myself um, from my bedroom, but... You know, we get there. Of course. Uh, and as if you didn't need anything else to be motivated to do, we motivated you or Caleb motivated us to read a Jacobean text. And that text is Philister or Love Lies a Bleeding. Yeah, it's by uh, Francis Beaumont and John Fletcher, who uh, collaborated with each other pretty much all the time that they wrote plays in the Jacobean era. Um, it was first put on probably around 1610, maybe potentially two years before, and first printed in 1620. Uh, but since then, it has pretty much fallen completely out of favour um, as a text for performance. Um, so, yeah, us putting it on, it probably hasn't been put on in any large scale since, like, the 18th century or something. So um, us putting it on is pretty, like... Yeah, different. Uh, they it, it it would be something that audiences haven't seen for a long time. Um, yeah. So, Gregor, um, uh, do you reckon you could give us a little rundown of the storyline, roughly the plot of the play? Absolutely. So, essentially, Philister is about. Um, it starts with the the king of Calabria, um, who usurped Philister's father, um, who was the king of Sicily. Um, and took over both kingdoms. However, when he tried to have Philister executed, um, the people sort of uh, were outraged and kind of, I think that the threat was that there would be a revolt. So Philister was kept alive um, and uh, essentially Philister, no, the, the, the usurper king only has one daughter. Um, so he wants to marry her off so that he has a legitimate heir because Philister's still kind of a threat at this point. And then the kind of rest of the acts go on with Philister sends his serving boy to wait on the daughter of the king, Arethusa. Then there's just a whole case of mistaken identities, sort of classic Jacobean comedy. In Act 4, there's a big hunt where Philister and Faramond kind of, they keep vying for Arethusa's love. Um... And then it ends with them all sort of a happily ever after. Philister marries Arethusa. Faramond is allowed to go back to Spain um, with sort of his honour. Yeah, and so Faramond is the one, that the prince of Spain, that the king Arethusa's uh, dad wants to marry her off to as the kind of, he's the, the most sort of noble choice for that. Um, but the people don't really like him and he's a bit of a sort of philanderer and a, a morally dubious character. There's a kind of subplot where he, because um, 
Arethusa won't sleep with him before they're married. He goes and finds someone else in the in the town to sleep with. Um, so yeah, it's kind of pretty standard sort of tragic comedy plot from that era. But I think there's probably some quite exciting things to dig into um, within that, though. Yeah, I mean, so before we get into exactly how we stage this, could you give us a little bit more context of the play? So this kind of tragic comedy genre thing that we see around this time yeah i suppose so the sort of tragic comedy genre it's yeah it's i mean it's exactly how it sounds it's kind of a, a blending of the aspects of tragic and comic forms um but the sort of i guess the thing is is that in the jacobean era the the idea of genre as we know it now was completely different so comedy just means that it ends with a happy ending the reason this is a comedy is because at the end as gregor said everyone ends up either married off to each other or being safely uh, given passage back to the land they came from and all of this um but there are tra- tragic elements throughout uh especially the sort of you know what the subtitle was referring to love lies a bleeding uh both of our sort of romantic leads are wounded during the hunt um and it seems as if they might die so there's sort of elements of the the tragedy and and comedy in it um but i guess the difference being that yeah just the way that we that's the way to describe it now but at the time it's just not really the genre wasn't really thought of in the same way um and the genres that they had at the time were completely different and it's something that like beaumont and fletcher were very aware of genre and how it worked uh, as well uh so that's probably yeah a bit of understanding on the the tragic comedy genre okay thank, thanks for that so then since then as you say it hasn't been put on i think i was reading somewhere that someone wrote a new version in like the late 18th century and it was never staged no one ever took it up or, or something like that what well do you have any inkling of an idea of why this play compared to say some cla- the classic shakespeare from this area haven't been staged not only in the last 200 years, but in the 150 preceding that as well. Yeah, um, I think, well, I mean, a big part of why a lot of of Shakespeare's contemporaries weren't staged or haven't been staged as much uh, in the last 200 years is because the Victorians had a complete obsession with Shakespeare. Um, and so a lot of stuff fell out of favour that way. I suppose part of the reason this hasn't been staged so much since is probably because... Um, you know the plot is is pretty standard and it it doesn't really feature many of the sort of b plots that a shakespearean comedy might um i think in some ways it just makes it a slightly less interesting play to put on in some ways um and also fletcher and beaumont have more interesting plays from the era as well i would say that their other um sort of notable work the night of the burning pestle is a much more exciting and interesting play to put on um, and has been put on in recent years. Um, and this is just, it, you know, it's. I guess it just feels a little too standard in some ways. There's nothing really that puts it out of place from anything else uh, from that era. Okay, well, given all that, yeah. let's try and put it on. <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. <laughs> so any kind of starting ideas about what we might do with this? I guess um, for me, a place to start with this kind of text is thinking about the setting of it um, because a lot of Shakespearean performances try to update the setting in some way um, and thinking about that is that something we want to do uh, I had the idea so obviously this is set in Sicily uh, but you know 
in the the contemporary time that it was written but thinking about trying to bring a sort of modern take to it trying to you know work something of that in i was trying to think of sort of hierarchical structures that still exist today that would mean us not trying to play with the setting too much and i thought perhaps setting it in modern day uh within the sicilian mafia perhaps um you know it's got that hierarchical structure like the sort of kingship there's um the sort of you know in mob films we see like the kind of family drama that you get here um and i think it would kind of give stakes to all of the drama that's going on as well that people can engage with so yeah potentially i don't know what you guys think of that of of using the sort of sicilian mafia as a kind of starting point of the setting well i definitely thought about sort of make putting it in a sort of modern setting as well and one thing that jumped out at me sort of instantaneously although it doesn't necessarily follow that sort of hierarchical structure that I think the play actually really needs in order to make sense I think I thought about setting it in sort of modern day LA um yeah with like in a sort of in a sort of world of like social media where you've got um because I think the, the the things about you know Philister being more of a popular person with the with the people, um, I think there's different characters that could lend themselves to being that sort of hyper like influencer type vibe. Yeah, um, yeah, I really like that. Yeah, and it, it definitely for me. I, I don't know if you've seen the um, Coen Brothers film Hail Caesar. I haven't. I felt okay. Well, it's it's kind of like a, a day in the life of like a golden age. Hollywood producer and he's mm-hmm. going about trying to solve all of these different scandals that come up and I felt that Dion the lord in this who kind of has a few sides with the audience is that kind of character he's kind of going right. about you know witnessing all of these but maybe even bringing that all the way up to the modern day and doing yeah like modern day LA you can bring in some of that sort of Hollywood like and that's where maybe where the hierarchy comes from like hierarchy yeah. on set with producers and lead actors things like that um, and you can introduce that scandal. And, and I definitely think that social media element would be a really interesting uh, line to follow, uh, that way of thinking about influence. Um, and it could lead the, the sort of to the conclusion where there's a sort of mutiny within the town in favour of Philister could lead to a very sort of um, over-the-top, ridiculous, sort of cartoonish um, finale, which I think would be really funny and would really play into that idea of sort of you know, with anything like this, if you want to sort of try and satirize something, you want to really think about your target and targeting social media would be interesting and, and funny and relevant. Yeah, exactly. And, and so for instance, one specific um, example in the text is when Galatia is speaking to Faramond and she mentions that he's fat and says your only remedy um, and gives him all these sort of tips for like dieting basically. And it just made me think of like a sort of a vegan Instagram influencer sort of being like, here's my workout routine and like my <laughs> daily, um, daily like meal prep. Yeah. Every, yeah. every block in, in LA has a, has like a kind of boutique smoothie slash coffee shop on it. And if you go in there and ask them for a weight loss advice, they will gladly give it to you. So I think that's very, very <laughs> No, I, I really like that. And I really like, I, I, cause I, yeah, it's kind of thought about a sort of thing. I really like the idea of, um, Bellario being this sort of like dismissed, 
uh, like assistant who like the assistant really looks up to this star who is Philister yeah. and Bellario is just sort of going about doing his business. I think that that's quite funny. Um, and that's definitely got that sort of vibe. And then also like the Lords who all crowd around Philister, like Dion and Claremont and uh, Thrasseline, um, a kind of like this uh, sort of like entourage-esque like type thing that that all follow Philister around. And like, because in, in the play, like they back him when it suits them to back him, but there are moments when they don't back him and they're like on, like, you know, chatting with Faramond and stuff. And so kind of having some of that um, two-faced sort of element to it would be quite a fun uh, take within the modern setting, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I think with the the mob idea as well. I think when I think of a gangster mob film, whatever, I, I'm thinking of well, first of all, I'm thinking of something that's not really done anymore, I guess. But also, I'm thinking of of action. I think uh, I'm expecting, you know, moments of of intrigue and conversation that end in violence, really. Yeah. Um, and I think this has obviously it has that it's one moment of violence, but I think. In the main, it's quite a kind of empty threat-based uh, kind of series of events, and I think that's that's interesting in the in the sense of kind of like in the world of social media, as we say, in the world of um, in the world of show business as well. That kind of empty threat, no one would really do any of these things they say, but people talk much more than they're willing to to bite, as it were. Um, I think that fits better as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, and yeah, there's definitely you know mob films out there that will be a bit more of a slow burn, a little less action. But I think, yeah, the setting... I, I guess the issue as well with the mob uh, setting would be that at the end, the mafia, you know, come out fine and it's all okay. And actually, what do you want to be saying? Uh, you know, if you look at sort of Scorsese's uh, mafia films, the whole point is that the, that all of the sort of bad characters get their comeuppance at the end and we can't do that if we're following this script but actually if you use the la setting you can kind of suggest that um and i think it's there in the text that philister although he has the influence that the others have maybe he's a little got, got a little more integrity in the way that he uses it um and then you kind of do get the comeuppance for the right people in that sense um you're kind of saying the right thing um which is an important sort of aspect of deciding the setting yeah, and I, the the only thing we're missing then from the LA thing is a kind of that sense of of hereditary uh, kind of inheritance and and the line of succession. The one thing I overthought, of, which is I think is a very silly thing, is in California there is um, a quote castle, um, which is really just some big building that a very rich person has built on a, a hill because they want to think they're in medieval Europe because a lot of <laughs> maybe americans have a bit of an obsession with that um but maybe some idea that that is owned by some big celebrity and they have a lack of lineage and something going on there about the inheritance of that silly kind of castle um i maybe i don't know yeah i I mean i think if we're thinking about yeah that or or if we're thinking about bringing some element of the sort of film industry into it you can do lineage that way in terms of like you know there's obviously clear like nepotism that takes place in in terms of that but also maybe even in you know there's stories of like uh for example and this is a pretty like left field example i suppose but like russell crowe was meant to play wolverine and then he asked hugh jackman like they they said he said i can't do it and they said who do you who do you think and he said i think hugh jackman should do it and that's why he got the role maybe mm. something like that can be sort of implied i don't know yeah. yeah 
Or even a union card. It could be something where, like, the king represents a sort of big producer who... And, and the sort of the kingdoms could be maybe film franchises. Yeah. And then... I really like that, have, actually. You could have, like, the king's, the, the king's daughter is actually the producer's daughter. And, you know, it, it suddenly turns into not like an actual kind of tangible succession problem but more so that both Faramond and Philister are kind of actors who want the main part. And so they're both trying to date the king's daughter as yep. a way of achieving that nepotism. Yeah, I really like that. And that whole, like, mm-hmm. you could have, you know, in the set design, you can have it, say, like, Sicily Productions or something along those lines. Yeah, I exactly. really like that. And that that really gives a sense of, yeah, a kind of modern succession problem. Um, yeah, that would be really interesting. Um yeah, I guess so. Uh, we've kind of got the setting there, I think, and we kind of dealt with a bit of that sort of issue of, of where the succession comes in. Um, how then do you put that across in terms of the actual set? The, the you know, what kind of theatre do we want this in? Uh, what kind of set do we want this to be? I think sort of going off the back of that, one of the things I watched recently was the National Theatre Twelfth Night, mm-hmm. and the set for that sort of has this big kind of spiral staircase that rotates and it can kind of open up and and move and looks like sort of creates the image of different rooms in a house you know obviously kind of just stealing that idea from that but i think in in the in the terms of like a modern <laughs> in a modern sense of like being in hollywood and wanting to try and capture you know the different locations where it could take place it could be film sets, but it could be yeah, other, yeah, yeah. the kind of thing where, you know, as if you have a, a really large budget for this set, it could create a sort of constantly changing set that looks like it's actually, you know, in a film, on a film set that's constantly being um, built up and taken down. Yeah, I like that. Uh, and I think you, you could even use those sort of ensemble parts of the citizens and, and things like that to be like putting it up and taking mm. it down again um and you get that sense of like i guess the sort of the sort of transient like element of life in 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 hollywood um and and that would come from that um and i yeah i think in terms of like thinking about specific settings i i quite like the idea of never actually showing a domestic setting so like the king's chambers are like the producer's office and like arethusa's um bedroom it Mm. would be like her dressing room instead um and and so kind of trying to put it all in these spaces that fit within that setting rather than having to go beyond that into any kind of domestic setting yeah exactly and and you know especially to sort of continue on with the theme of of hollywood and and the glamour of los angeles um you know the scenes where the sort of attendants are discussing amongst each other that could be like in a coffee shop or at a restaurant when they're out for lunch and they're sort of like gossiping and you can definitely bring in some of that like Jake was saying, that sort of like indie LA mm. coffee shop vibe from that, where they all have you know their like really clear clear idea of like exactly how you're exactly. meant to live your life, um, even though they're just yeah, <laughs> that's that's good, yeah for sure. Yeah, I like that because one of the major differences I think between Jacobean 
drama and drama now is that you know you never get away with writing contemporary play now that has a five minute scene at the beginning where three people are just going like oh yes this is what's going on and this is what's about yeah. to happen and i wonder whether this will happen and then it does yeah um which like a lot of plays seem to open with from this period and this one certainly does and i was gonna ask can we still get away with that today but i guess we can with this yeah i i guess you you can but it's about thinking cleverly mm-hmm. in terms of direction so part of that is actually you know making sure that dion claremont and thrasseline who are the the three characters in the beginning that you mentioned feel like distinct characters rather than feel like they're there to give exposition and then also thinking about well and i mean in terms of well i mean first of all you can definitely cut it down and and you can definitely try and trim it wherever but also in terms of the sort of set that greg is talking about you can have this either as a moment where you know they're on quite a bare set and then you get the big reveal after this scene so it feels like it's leading into something or even that this you know you put this in a an exciting setting for example you you use like let's say you've got like five or six different spaces that are available because of the set that you've built you use the one that is the sort of most exciting to bring the audience into to really bring them into the setting of la of hollywood of that kind of glamour and you use that at the beginning so that there's something more for the audience to take away from it than just this is the exposition for yeah the like a sort of industry party sort of thing maybe that yeah, would, yeah i think as well yeah. because um you know this scene is you know there's it, it's all about exposition but um, if you sort of to specifically relate it to the kind of setting that we want to put it in, if you put it under the th- under the kind of guise of, oh, it's just Hollywood gossip, um, suddenly it becomes, I think, very easy f- and natural for this conversation to happen because it could just be like wanting to catch up yeah. on the ins and outs of what's going on behind the scenes in the industry. And you've got one person who, you know, doesn't really, hasn't really heard anything recently and someone else who's always got like an inside ear to the ground kind of thing and there's like one line where he says in my ignorance in state policy why is philister you know still allowed to walk around and that could be just someone not you know understanding like the politics of what's going on yeah yeah i i also think coming back to what jake was saying uh and using that idea that you were talking about earlier gregor of um the sort of social media influencer type thing if you even had it in this opening like claremont has arrived at the industry party Mm -hmm. early or something and he's texting dion um and thrasseline um and we see that coming up on screens but also they can you know they can say it aloud like that's a pretty Mm -hmm. standard dramatic convention so they're saying aloud what they're typing and we're seeing it come up on the screens um and then dion and thrasseline arrive at the party you know let's say like Mm -hmm. two pages into this or something um and then you kind of bring you bring a little bit of action into that opening um but also you really firmly say social media is the thing that we're getting at here um and you get that right from the offset as well um as well as getting the la setting Mm -hmm. and also you know then for instance you can have something you can even start off with something that's just kind of kind of meant to be an exposition and make it really funny because you could have the screens showing the sort of um dion first typing his his initial message and you can have all yeah. the previous messages that have been sent and just like like a selfie of someone like drinking a smoothie um or you know something again to just sort of put a establish the setting but put a bit of humor in before we get into any dialogue definitely mm. yeah yeah that really works and using those sort of visual gags early on mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, just to throw in just another idea. I think this is better, but um, just a thought to have, if we're going back to that kind of coffee shop idea, if there was some way of kind of keeping a coffee shop on stage that's separate to the rest of the set, set in some way, yeah. that always has people hustling and bustling about in it. Yeah. Um, and maybe even no actor ever leaves the stage when they go off whatever scene they're not in, they just go to the coffee shop or maybe there's two coffee shops or something like that if we need to keep people separate. Yeah, um, yeah. And they and they just kind of talk amongst themselves and then when we need to hear something that's that kind of cutaway thing, I'm thinking also of like the woodman and kind of thing. Uh then that that can happen. We can kind of move our attention towards the coffee shop. I don't know, that's just another idea. I think that's definitely possible. Um I think that you maybe you want to be careful that it doesn't come across as a little gimmicky or like you know that none of us know what LA is really like kind of thing but I mean obviously you guys have both been out there but I, I haven't but you want to make clear that it's coming from a place of knowing LA um but yeah I think there's definitely something in, in having an area of the stage uh yeah. perhaps if you did it I mean we talk. I guess you know from what we're talking about we're talking about a large-scale production we're talking about a big theater um so I mean definitely like the, the RSC theater in Stratford is obviously in, in thrust if you had it in thrust you can definitely occupy a corner of the stage um upstage slightly out of the way with something like a coffee shop and then you have lots of space to play with anyway um mm. and that's definitely possible yeah i think or even yeah even like like a little coffee stand like if it's on a film production set you might have i don't know one of those vans that comes around yeah and, and, yeah for and sure. does take Crafty. away coffees and then, and then for a moment like the hunt, where actually you might not want that to be present anymore, mm. there is a way of getting it off as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, so in our setting, what is the hunt? Yeah, well, that's something that I've been thinking about. Because <laughs> in yeah, when I was thinking about uh, uh, like a mafia setting, I, you could do it as like a heist or something, but that becomes slightly more challenging in in this context. I mean. In some ways, no actual hunting takes place. Mm. Um, so you could have it like I know that like well from tv that i've seen like one of the things to do in la in the weekends is like go hiking up in the hills right mm-hmm. um yeah, i wonder whether yeah. there's something in that doing it as like a big hike that they're all doing together or something is 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 that something that could yeah. work i was even thinking it could be like a scene being filmed yeah that could definitely work where it's you know it's suddenly act four you know they're doing a sort of i don't know is there a kind of thing is there like a pre-shoot thing that happens at all in the film industry where like, Unfortunately not. <laughs> you know, I don't know, like if you're, if you're still trying to decide what actors are doing and you're just kind of like playing around. If only. If only. Well, I mean, there, I guess there's some of that in, in, in like establishing in blocking and stuff between. Tapes. Yeah. I was there, just thinking it could there, be something yeah. like that where, you know, they're, they're on location filming a hunt you know for like some for whatever the film that they're trying to make is and then you've got faramond and philister there who in between yeah. takes end up getting into no they don't fight do they um no but, uh, but that does work and and the countryman could be a an extra in yeah. the film or something like that and and actually that does give the opportunity and i know a lot a lot of shows you know, a lot of productions of Jacobean theatre do this where they will update the setting, but they'll somehow have a moment where they can nod to the Jacobean setting. Mm. And that might be a moment. They could be filming a film that is set yeah, in the Jacobean yeah, era. Exactly. And like Robin so Hood. The, and 
exactly and and so you get a kind of sort of um surreal like reference to theater the origins moment. yeah exactly yeah. and uh, yeah so that kind of meta reference could be really interesting it means it's a fun opportunity to have them they've been in plain clothes and then suddenly they're in these sort of jacobean costumes and it's very over the top i think some and funny costumes as well just would naturally work really well like obviously yeah. if, you, yeah. if you're kind of setting it in sort of modern la it's all going to be one like particular style and then being able yeah. to get like a sort of garish jacobean period style costume for one act would be really cool and if they attack each other with prop swords and prop yeah, knives, exactly. that's more reason that they wouldn't be mortally wounded mm-hmm. by it, that they might just be a little wounded kind of thing. Yeah, or even a, a prop gun uh, firing blanks, but from close range yeah. can be very dangerous, but not murderous. Yeah. It reminds me of um, last night, I, I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again, and I was just, all I could think of was that scene with Brad Pitt um, in the on set like fighting bruce lee yeah yeah. it definitely Um, has that kind of vibe doesn't it yeah it's that kind of yeah just like you know a bit of like pent-up tension you know they're both they're like they're still fighting over this girl um and they're on set kind of bored and they just end up you know an extra gets into a fight with philister yeah yeah Yeah, i think that definitely works i was thinking if they're on location they could be in a trailer and something happens in the trailer and then maybe a pa comes in or something like that or um yeah that, yeah i think that i think that any of those could work um speaking of kind of the gender elements of this i've been thinking a lot about the kind of bellario reveal moment um yeah yeah it's about, quite strange yeah where she's kind of she's just kind of bellario's got this part throughout the entire play and then at the end she's like oh by the way i'm in love with you and i'm a woman and then that's yeah. that's kind of it um I don't know what a what that translates into. B if that nowadays is just kind of, I mean, uninteresting, really. Yeah, I mean, I did consider, you know, is there a way of of ending the play and cutting that moment and keeping Bellario as Bellario? Um, I think it's possible if you're careful with how you trim the end. Um, but I, yeah, I wonder if there is something interesting you can do with it. Um, maybe like maybe something along the lines of a comment on like the the gender pay gap maybe and you is there a way of implying that like they're dressed up as a man to to be paid better maybe it feels a bit weak (laughs) yeah again you know like you wouldn't you wouldn't want it to just come across you know, as doing it to be a, to be a gimmick yeah. by any means, but having Bellario as a transgender um, woman could be could be something that in a modern day setting might work. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's just I that think whole message you have to be like... really careful about the reveal there. Of course, because the reveal is like saying, "Oh, I was a girl the whole time. I'm the daughter of this person. I'm the daughter of Dion." Um, but actually, yeah, if they are a trans character, what is that actually saying? Um, yeah. Is that coming out or is that something else entirely? And that's what you want to be careful of. There may be a way yeah, of doing exactly. it. Um, you know, I'm not trans. I would need to speak to, you know, we'd need to speak to someone who like works in the industry who is trans, who maybe has an idea of how, you know, yeah. whether that works, you know, and but I mean, it's possible, but you, I think you want to like, make sure you're really saying the right thing and doing it correctly. Yeah, um, I think exactly. that whole message of, well, of, of it kind of being like, oh, I couldn't have possibly, um, like 
made your girlfriend cheat with me because I'm this thing doesn't work with that. I think as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. just because it's yeah. not appropriate at all. That is true. Yeah, yeah. I I would yeah. My first thought was try and cut it somehow because I think that you're right. It it you know it's kind of got similarities to some sort of like the sort of Shakespeare misgendering stuff, mm. which works well in Shakespeare because it's more developed than this. This is just you have a male character and then at the end they reveal that they are actually yeah. were a girl the whole time. Um, yeah, how I don't about, know. <laughs> I, how about they're just yeah. a girl the whole time? Very obviously a girl the whole time. And either there's no reveal and we just cut like the that little bit and yeah. with them we've just made the character female and you know there's no uh, there's no thing of like oh I couldn't possibly have cheated because that would be lesbianism because that's not I don't that's just again it's like what nowadays yeah, obviously yeah. makes sense in the 16th century but well um, I because I actually thought again if we if we get rid of the reveal when I was first reading the character obviously they talk about how beautiful. Um, Bellario is and I thought he could just be a sort of like very vacuous pretty boy LA yeah Hollywood type um yeah there's definitely something in that and that could be quite funny because then it's just like he's going around like not really because there's a lot of moments where both Philister and um Arethusa are sort of upset with him because they feel that he's like been a sort of boundary towards them getting their relationship um and he could just sort of go around not being aware of the impact he's having yeah i think because yeah. the other half of my suggestion was that the way to kind of make it not say what it says at the moment is if if everyone is aware that um she is a heterosexual woman throughout the entire play mm. she is very obviously flirting coming on to um philister maybe even other men whatever so that it's all very clear to the audience to all the characters apart from philister and we just make philister a complete dipshit and yeah that's exactly what i was going to suggest is is if philister or yeah literally just or even the whole way through like everyone knows that it's yeah like a heterosexual woman and philister thinks that it's like a servant boy like an assistant male assistant and then there's a, you can even include the, the gender reveal and he's like huh like and everyone else is like yes yes of course this is it like or even just like she wasn't even lines. trying to hide it he just like decided that's yeah. what she was <laughs> no, exactly exactly yeah. yeah i think there's maybe something in that and and that would really it would be really funny and stupid um i think that could be fun yeah yeah there was a point i was just thinking we could to sort of continue on um thinking about the uh gender element of it is i think the play you know like most sort of jacobean dramas is quite misogynistic in the way that it treats megra and um arethusa sort of when when characters believe that they have been um, sort of promiscuous yeah. um, and I think sort of playing up to that and making it seem completely ludicrous that the female characters could have acted in this way is something that would that could be quite funny and resonate with a modern audience yeah I agree yeah I, th I, I, I think as well I, I, you know it, it is kind of 
uh, it's a question that comes up a lot with Shakespeare is some some of his female characters are sort of strong female characters, but then everyone around them views them as like, oh, you know, you can't be promiscuous or whatever. They bring their own morality into it. And I Mm -hmm. think that there is elements within the text that, you know, Arethusa and Megra are like both condemned for acting with promiscuity, but actually they themselves we see are noble and like morally good. Even Megra at the end is kind of like, oh, actually you can marry Faramund in a way that is expected. And she's like, yeah, I can because I'm just a normal person. I'm not like the sort of sexually promiscuous person you seem to be suggesting I am. Um, so yeah, I think you're right in that, like, we can really play into the way that everyone else views them as characters or specifically Mm -hmm. all the male characters, the way they view them. And then actually in our presentation of those characters, make clear that they're just regular women and they're not doing anything wrong. Uh, at at no point are they doing anything wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. but actually it's just that it's all being, you know, blown out of proportion, treated unfairly, treated misogynistically by everyone around them. And I think that brings Um, us back to the social media thing as well about, you know, I guess like men's WhatsApp groups, there's been a lot of that in kind of British universities in the last couple of years, um, Mm -hmm. being, being misogynistic in those. And I think that kind of, that we could tie those things together, I think. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely, and I, I think the other thing to mention about the sort of design element uh, would be that I think we want some kind of large screens either all around the audience or sort of Dear Evan Hansen style where you have screens on the stage that you can project onto and use mm-hmm. that to have this sort of social media running commentary th- throughout that um, kind of playing with the story through and that way through different lenses yeah. other than just the lens yeah. that we're getting it on, on stage but actually you can be like oh this has happened actually we get to see like Dion's social media reaction to that oh this has happened we get to see how the citizens are responding in you know like mm-hmm. you get those like local like I, I know where I live um, in Lou in Cornwall they have a Lou Mona's Facebook page <laughs> and it's just yeah. people complaining about the most mundane things that happen in the local area but actually if yeah. you had like an LA Mona's like whatever and then like you know the king says this or whatever and we get a reaction on screen of people being like we love philister and all this stuff <laughs> i think that i that think be quite yeah fun. so i think again you know with each different scene that happens uh you could have um sort of a different social media reaction to that so perhaps you know you have someone posting an instagram story which we see on a screen and then we see all the citizens like a sort of live update of all these tweets that are getting published um you know saying we love philister yeah um, yeah or like a facebook live from all the citizens i i wonder actually if even the the ending um if maybe even we we cut down on the cast size and the ending is rather than a physical mutiny on stage we get like this barrage of social media hate against the king and like sicily and calabria productions or something like that and Mm -hmm. we see that on the screens and we and then we can see on stage the physical reactions of all of our our main characters as this like twitter storm type thing happens Yeah, and then you see like you can see like the talk shows and like the news in America starting to 
publish the stories yeah. and then on stage you like the characters get calls from their agents um that would be so amazing uh, if we got like, like their pr managers if we got like a colbert and like jimmy kimmel and stuff to, to yeah, cameo exactly. in the play <laughs> yeah 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 i like that a lot um and it, yeah and it I was going to say like that, that ending with like a mutiny in the town feels so alien to the modern context, but actually the sort of power that social media has, the idea of like cancel culture and things like that. Yeah. Obviously this is slightly different, but that, and you know, it, it, it definitely has parallels to that idea of sort of town mutiny or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think actually in some ways it's kind of subversive in it, it being in support of Philister rather than in, opposition to the king and maybe you can play with that element slightly as well and there's a way of doing it that makes it feel like like you know there's there's two different types of social media movement right there's one that's bringing people down and there's one that's lifting people or or people groups up um and you can maybe play with that as well yeah and again i think and i think with the with the soul the whole plot line um it gets a little bit difficult because you know you see this sort of um, interactions and in how everything plays out between Faramond and Philister already. But the idea that that's all happening behind the scenes in the film industry, in the sort of back rooms of Hollywood, you know, like contract negotiations about being part of the film is is what happens in the script. And then the whole time what with the sort of crowd mentality is you've got the general public being like, Oh, cast Philister. Yeah. Um, you know, he's yeah. the best man for the job, blah, blah, blah. Um, and trying to promote that on social media, which is what the play could culminate in with that last scene. And you see that all the time these days with like, you know, fan casting, then becoming the actual yeah. casting of a certain property. Uh, you also see stuff like that, the sort of nailing out the details of contracts in, I don't know if you saw this news story about the fast and the furious how like Dwayne the rock johnson and um jason statham uh can they can never and other other characters like they can never lose a fight in one of those films because it stipulates in their contracts like how many fights they lose and win how many punches they have to take how many punches they they themselves give in the films like there's that like minute detail within these contracts um which is kind of absurd and yeah like playing with that idea of like this is where like hollywood's got to this is like the kind of competitiveness that it it, it's breeding within like the actors that focusing more on like whether like he has to take a punch in a film than like what the actual storyline of that film or like characters or like any of that um thematic development within a film actually entails Mm, i think that also gives a really nice opportunity to make different characters big caricatures of the Hollywood actors. You know, like Faramond just always strikes me as a sort of spoilt, kind of soft around the edges, um, like entitled famous actor who like, you know, always goes really method and everyone <laughs> kind of thinks he's a bit of a dick. <laughs> like Jared Leto. Um, We're putting on Reservoir Dogs to play now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that could be really funny. Yeah, but yeah, and then you, you know, in the contract negotiations, you get them being like, "Oh, well, you know, this is not what we agreed." Blah blah blah, and like just throwing yeah. strops, which would also be a really good way to bring in the humour. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 
Um, and that's the thing. I think there are moments that are quite funny within it. Um, that you know, there's lots of like, especially early on, there's lots of like good, like wordplay and stuff like that. Especially amongst the characters of like Dion Claremont yeah. and Thessaline, and and they're definitely like we talked about already, like with them being the sort of gossipy LA like. Um, group mm. that like are you know philister's entourage but they're kind of got their fingers in everyone's pies type yeah. stuff and um you can definitely play with that um I, i'm just thinking as well like i was thinking about the hunt um and the bit where philister injures arethusa because mm. I, I was kind of envisaging him having a gun in that moment perhaps yeah um but like i was thinking how does he like shoot her without killing her or whatever and like we talked about having the prop gun but then i also think about um if the country fellow when he comes in to stop him like literally just pushes him and so the gun just like misses and like hits her in the foot or something like that um and like there's maybe some physical comedy like in that fight Mm. that we could play with kind of undercutting you know because then he's not a real fighter he's an actor maybe kind of undermining undercutting that fight and and kind of making it this more sort of like heightened silly uh like fight between two actors kind of thing yeah i like that the the other thing that they have a lot uh in like the outskirts of la is there's a lot of like huge like paintball parks just like in the oh, yeah so that was one idea i had <laughs> yeah. was that they're somehow playing paintball and <laughs> paintball do cross my That's... mind that is so good i actually love that oh imagine if they had an actual paintball fight on stage that would would be be real funny that would be very very fun oh and if yeah if like the whole like love lies a bleeding thing is literally just like paint it's not even like an actual (laughs) wound that's so good and i think it it comes into that idea of like what are the stakes of this play Mm -hmm. in its original form the stakes are incredibly high because it's the kingship of a whole area of italy um like that's missing in a modern setting but actually if what we do is instead of saying let's make the stakes high what we say is the stakes are ridiculous because um that the whole sort of system that all of these people are operating within is farcical is Mm. surreal is absurd um and and so by completely like destroying any element of there being real like dramatic uh, physical stakes to this your the comment you're making is there are no stakes within an industry that is kind of vacuous all about influence all about you know more yeah. and more you know about your social media influence rather than your actual talent things like this and playing on that idea yeah i really like that i think the other thing as far as stakes is concerned that i i'd be slightly concerned about is this kind of idea of love um in the context of the play and in the context of the modern world um, so they have this conversation at the beginning, Philistra and Arethusta, um, where she's like, um, oh my gosh, this is like so embarrassing. I'm a girl. I shouldn't have to say this, but like, I, I really like you. And then he's like, oh my gosh, I love you. I can't believe I didn't know this before. Um, that's my modern retelling of that scene. Um, <laughs> um, and I guess, uh, I mean, I don't know if you guys have a good idea of what, the word love meant at that time but like i guess we project our modern idea onto it and our modern idea is something that is kind of something that can't be like that i guess and so i wonder whether i don't know whether just everyone accepts when you're watching jackie being play that love just kind of means like fancy I, I guess that's one thing um or if there's something different we could do with it i mean i i wonder about using this idea of you know what how you get influence within 
um, the sort of LA Hollywood context, how how you draw power within that, and maybe playing with this idea of, um, you know, I, I mean, love has changed to an extent, but there is still like this idea of like loving someone being, you know, beyond just getting on with someone. And, you know, I, I think within this, maybe we we what we say is actually love in the context of this play is completely hollow so yeah. arethusa decides between philister and faramond on you know the idea of which one would play the part best or which one she likes more but they're telling each other they love each other and it is hollow as hollow as faramond deciding he's going to marry arethusa to get the part um and maybe we completely undermined the whole sort of element of that i worry that the only thing is that that will take the driving force out of um the action of the play um so it's balancing those two things yeah i mean i think it could be the kind of it's the case where you know you have got those people that say i love you to everyone um and it's it can be the kind of thing that's sort of just friendly now so you could have the context um of of that of that type of word, you know, saying I love you, like, oh, darling, I love you in a sort of Hollywood or, era. I mean, or maybe even what we're doing is we're pointing out that that is something that exists. Yeah. And what we're suggesting is that actually Philister and Arethusa can be in love in a, in yeah. a more traditional sense. Yeah. And, and we allow that to be something that the audience has to accept, which I think they would. I think that the audiences can accept that as a concept. Um, but, and actually what it is then is that Philister and Arethusa's relationship is just cutting across all of this sort of fake, mm. LA like oh I love you darling I love yeah, you exactly. type stuff and this is this is what love is and it's kind of presenting a complete opposition to that yeah because I definitely think that it would be good to have that love between Philister and Arethusa it's still you know as a big part of the play not diminish that in any way but yeah exactly it can be within that context of actually it's you know it's quite a subdued and you know not very obvious love but it's the kind of thing where it's real in a world yeah. where everyone is expressing their love for each other but not actually you know it's not a sort of conventional sense of love and romance in the way that we would think about it now um, yeah and maybe you play that scene that Jake mentioned as they're both a bit embarrassed about yeah. it because because they're actually saying I love you to someone they actually mm. love and that is kind of a little bit embarrassing a bit shameful a bit kind of taboo I yeah. guess in this context as well um, and the idea actually the idea of traditional love actual romantic love being taboo in within a context is kind of you know almost laughable in and yeah. of itself and you can play with that well it, it kind of reminds me of I don't know if either of you have seen or read Normal People um, I've not yet. I'm gonna watch it's the TV yeah. adaptation recently, so I've, right? I, yeah. I just I watched the TV up. adaptation and you know that is so kind of the overarching theme of the whole thing is that you know they they are awkward about expressing their love for each other especially when they're at school together you know worried about what people will say and what they will think um and so between Arethusa and um Philister you could have this kind of deep um private like romantic connection that they are afraid to actually express because of the way that um you know love is is thought about um 
you know, and the kind of fear about going public with their relationship. Yeah, I think that that's good. And I think, and again, it plays with that sort of what we've talked about. You, you see it with like celebrity couples yeah. that, you know, their relationships can be completely ruined by the way that they're treated by the media and social media as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and definitely like the worry being that how does this play, you know, kind of thing as a story? How do we spin yeah. this? Um, can be a really interesting element uh, that we could, you could bring in um, into that. And, and that, yeah, that fear coming from what is the public response to what is a private matter. Um, and that's definitely something that is, yeah, a, an issue today and something that kind of with social media's ever growing influence on our lives becomes more and more of a, you know, like, and, and stuff like, the way that reality TV has taken on like certain celebrity couples, like keeping up with the Kardashians and um, whatever that one that was, <laughs> I'm trying to think it was uh, Peter Andre and the person he was married to. Oh um, yeah. Katie Price. Um, that's it. And they had the TV show and, and then they, they got divorced in the end. Uh, um, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. The TV Is that show? something that happened? Yeah, something like that. But I, I think it's that thing of of in today's celebrity culture, where does their private lives and our public interest in their private lives begin and end? Um, and using that as a reason for them to, you know, go back and forth on the issue of love and that they really love each other, but they're, they're hesitant is, uh, yeah, again, an, another sort of contemporary issue that we can tap into using this traditional text. Um, I think that, I mean, I think that's pretty much everything... I had to talk about we've covered you know like some of the key parts the key moments that we want to do um I mean the I guess the big thing with this yeah was like how how do we use a text like this to deal with contemporary issues and I think we've pretty much covered that yeah. um overall I guess like I mean we've not said it but like we we're obviously sticking with the traditional language mm-hmm. um but, you know obviously that's like a choice like you know, and and there's, I think there's areas where we could bring in, especially with the social media screens. I don't know whether you want to, whether it's funnier to keep those in a sort of Jacobean uh, language, um, or whether that you you play with sort of modern language on the screens, Jacobean language on the stage. I think a, I um, think a cool sort of middle ground would be keeping the language on the screens as well, but using emojis and yeah, like gifs. Yeah, I like that as reactions. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. like that a lot. Um, yeah, because the language in this piece is different to Shakespeare, mm. I would have said. Um, I've read somewhere, I don't know if this is true, that kind of because he was not as high upper class, he was using language that was more kind of pulled from the working classes or whatever the equivalent was at the time. Um, whereas the these this, these playwrights were more writing from a kind of higher echelon of of speech is, is there any truth in that or mm, i think i think that could be pretty well debated i mean we know that shakespeare had a, a fairly decent education um and he like makes certain like classical allusions and stuff throughout his stuff that uh would suggest that i think what is more maybe well i mean shakespeare actually it's almost the opposite shakespeare is just kind of he's so dense in uh his writing in you know everything is kind of it is plot and it is character but it also goes beyond that into you know the realms of like 
sort of psychological analysis of these characters, especially with something like Hamlet. Um, and then also like just the way that he uses wordplay and also his own word creation and phrase creation as well. It, it's unparalleled really at this time um, or at all ever, I guess, which is why we care about him yeah. so much. Um, so I guess the difference being that this just lacks some of that density of, of meaning throughout mm. it, which is why I think partly we can really play with how we cut it and how we put it together. Um, but also actually in some ways, I think there are moments of this that are probably more accessible than a lot of Shakespeare because it is just... You know, the language is different to ours, but it is just like there's a little less going on. Yeah. And so all we have to focus on is the plot and the characters and how they interact. I think mm, far more so in th- reading this than in sort of most Shakespeare I've read, you can really get the gist of a whole speech just from yeah. like skimming over it. Because yeah. a lot of Shakespeare's sort of, you know, particularly longer speeches and soliloquies will you know, go back and forth between different sort of, like different things that that are being discussed and brought up. And it can be sometimes hard to actually work out what it is that that means. Whereas in this, I think it's all more straightforward. Like you said, you don't have those sort of subplots. So you can just read a speech and know exactly what kind of storyline related topic that it's talking about. And yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I think it also gives the opportunity to cut some of these longer speeches yeah. down because, like you say, they're not trying to discuss any sort of deep, meaningful issue or trying to like delve into any of the sort of philosophical background to the stuff that's being shown on stage. It, it literally just is, this is how I'm feeling as a character right now, but using you know the the kind of poetic language that was being used at the time. Um so yeah, I, I, in some ways, it, it, it's almost like I think would probably be more accessible than a, a, a Shakespeare play, mm. or well, maybe not entirely. Um, but like, and and also the fact that I think some of these, uh, most of the characters aren't really very complex at all, which is great because it means we can kind of project anything we want mm-hmm. onto them. As sort of you know, Gregor, you discussed with like Faramund with like making him uh, the kind of like very uh, privileged sort of like actor type. Um, so there's definitely, yeah, I, I think that that's a, a good thing in this context. Um, and and so kind of with the language gives us sort of less and more. There's, there, there isn't the kind of, you know, depth of meaning that a lot of Shakespeare has, but there is certainly uh, more that we can play with and we can mess around with because, again, part of it as well, there's less reverence around a text like this as well. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay, I think that's probably enough discussion on that for now. Um, might bring it up again if we come to another Jacobean text. But yeah, yeah. Let's move on to our kind of new section uh, of the podcast, which is our kind of recommendations section. Gregor, have you been watching, reading, listening to anything theatre related that you'd like to share? Yeah. A friend of mine um, does a lot of volunteering with the Monobox, which is this non for profit. Um, company in London that normally has a sort of venue you can go to and you can read monologues from plays and you know they help um, with like auditioning and and techniques and that kind of thing Um, but obviously since lockdown no one can access that so recently they've just come out with a new um, online monologues they've they've reached out to um, professionals in the industry um, 
people like Riz Ahmed, uh, Derek Jacobi, Denise Goff, Alfred Enoch, all kinds of um, you know different actors from stage and film, and they've got them to record a monologue, um, and it's gone up on the website so that anyone can watch it um, and hear just some cool monologues from different people and get some inspiration there. Yeah, that, I've seen that. That looks absolutely incredible, mm. and I know a lot of hard work has gone into putting that together. Um, so shout out to the Monobox. They're great. Um, okay, great. Thanks, Gregor. Um, Caleb? Um, I, yeah, I was trying to think of something because I this week I've, I've been reading a lot of plays recently, but this week less so. Um, I did watch on Netflix, um, again, kind of theatre adjacent, I suppose. Uh, there, there's three new comedy specials from Middleditch and Schwartz. So Thomas Middleditch and Ben Schwartz. Uh, best known probably Thomas Middleditch is in Silicon Valley and Ben Schwartz was on uh, Parks and Recreation Um, and it's three improv comedy specials Um, they're like long form improv so they improvise a whole story uh, over the course of like 45 minutes to an hour Um, and uh, the way it just it's great because I like improv but I think it's so hit and miss but actually the way that they do it is just so them Um, so even from like the way that they take a prompt is they ask a question and then they, they pick a a specific audience member that answered and then they have a whole conversation with them. So they try and mine them for as much information for the story as possible, which is great. Then the other thing is there's just two of them. So what they do is they create like a series of characters through the opening scenes. But then when one of them ditches one of the characters to go play a different character, the other one might take on the character the other one was playing. Um, so you get this whole thing of it's multi-rolling, but they're also playing each other's characters, which is like brilliant, but also like there's moments where it's quite funny. So like one of them will be really good at an accent and will start a character in that accent. And then the other one will take it on and be (laughs) a lot worse at that accent. And they kind of have to work their way through that. Um, but it's just like improv at its best. They're both just like absolute pros. They've both been doing it for like 15, 20 years and they both like just really have each other's backs. Um, they're three really different stories as well um and they're just they're so funny and they're on netflix um so if you have a netflix account i'd really recommend watching those um and they're like yeah less than an hour each so um doesn't take up too much of your day as well cool um okay uh i think i'll change my rec then because i was going to recommend a book that i haven't read yet because i was recommended it and so i was going to say if the person that i've recommended to me i trust but i might leave that for another day and instead similarly do what you've done and and talk about something that's that's theater adjacent but not really theater um there's a charity called the uh independent music venue trust and they are uh doing a campaign to help save a bunch of independent music venues around the country that are really struggling at the moment because obviously they've got no form of income um and as people that like the arts i think we should also be supporting the other arts around us such as music venues and what they're doing is something really cool where they get artists to do kind of live stream performances and uh, in, in exchange for watching those performances you pay you you don't have to but you, they, you're encouraged to donate a small amount of money to help keep these venues afloat and the artists do it for free and i think you know you pay either what you'd pay for a ticket if you were to see the artist or if you're drinking a a, uh, a beer while you're watching then you pay the difference maybe between the beer you're drinking and the and what you would have paid for it at a venue you say you paid a pound for it and it would have been four pound fifty at the venue um 
and I, it's a, I just think it's a really good initiative uh, to help those venues. And so if you go to saveourvenues.co.uk slash events, and um, there's a whole list of artists performing uh, on their live streams. Uh, I've been watching Frank Turner, Will Varley recently. Um, and yeah, it's, they're, they're really good fun. And uh, it's a, a good a good thing to do, I think. That's really cool. Yeah, that's really neat. Yeah. And, and if you remember, we'll put that in the show description as well. I'll put a link to that as well. So, okay, brilliant. Well, uh, thanks for that, Gregor, and thank you so much for joining us and for talking through that with us. My pleasure. Is there anywhere people can find you online or anything you're you're doing upcoming that uh, people might yes. be interested in? So, well, I mean, upcoming in the sort of looser sense of the word. Um, you yeah. can <laughs> you can find me on Facebook. Uh, my name's Sandor Filter. Um, <laughs> just, just it's not even worth asking about. Um, no, no, explain. No, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's fine. It was a, a, a dare from my friends. Um, yeah. But I'm in, I, I'm also on Twitter at GregorRoach1, I think, after being yeah. locked out of my first account. Um, <laughs> and or Instagram, Gregor.Roach, if you want to see what I see what I've been up to in lockdown but what i was actually meant to say was um i was meant to be in a play called molly sweeney by brian friel um this term actually like in two weeks um but obviously um, i love brian friel that's such a yeah, shame that's not going ahead um, so massive shame obviously um was going to be directed by harry berry and he was doing some really cool like soundscape stuff um with that because it's a play about a blind girl um and so he was going to have all the audience wearing headphones and get like binaural sound to be playing um, while we were acting on stage as well. But luckily, um, it seems like it's just going to be pushed back to later in the year. So we'll be able to do it then. But at the moment, sort of we have been, um, the cast and crew have been meeting up to do like weekly workshop sessions where we do sort of improvisation, um, sense memory uh, activities and exercises and things just to sort of keep us sharp um, but if you are listening to this and you're going to be in Oxford uh, next year please come check it out when it's on yeah so that'll be probably October November sort of time right yeah yeah exactly oh cool uh, so yeah Jake where can people find you online I am at Jake Reesh on Twitter and Instagram that's at J-A-K-E-R-E-E-S-H where are you Caleb I'm at Caleb Lebster C-A-L-E-B-L-E-B-S-T-E-R on Twitter and Instagram brilliant and we are Maybe You Like It Productions and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Maybe You Like It with the letter U or at Maybe You Like It Productions on Facebook that's with the word U or you can visit our website at www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk or drop us an email at info at maybeyoulikeit.co.uk brilliant okay thanks very much Gregor and thanks Caleb as usual and we'll see you very soon. Maybe you like that. Maybe you didn't. Sweet. Smashed it. Thank you very much. That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't.